0: Welcome to the Topeka First podcast. We are one church with several locations. Our mission is to reach our community with the message of Jesus. If you would like to give to support this podcast and the ministries of our church, please visit topekafirst.com giving. Enjoy the podcast. All right, this morning we are getting together again as we celebrate the Lord and as we give Him thanks for His goodness and uh, we are—we've been talking about the core. Now I'm gonna have you're gonna have to pull your Bible out or your Bible app this morning. I didn't get the information down on the on the uh, uh, down on the system this morning. So, uh, but we're going to look together in Revelation and through a few diff- different uh, choice passages uh, as we begin this morning. We're gonna look in God's Word as we consider our happy ending. And uh, our happy ending story, you need to be able to keep in view the end result of your life. And I don't mean just the end as it's physically end. We have to keep our faith focused on Christ who has provided for us an eternal hope that no one else can offer to us. And too many times people look at other things. But today we want to look at what the book of Revelation uh, tells us. It, it, it gives us a picture of life in the future for those who have placed their faith in Christ. And now, uh, this, this isn't the only picture that Scripture actually uh, gives to us or provides for us, but it's a reminder of the huge impact of the good news of Jesus around the world. And this is, this is the reason that we preach the gospel to everyone. And this is the reason why these guys enable missions to take place in the local church. Just like it's their responsibility in their local churches, it's, respo- it's our responsibility in our local church. Revelation chapter 7 verse 9 says this. It says, after this, I looked and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count, from every nation, tribe, people, and language. Standing before the throne and before the Lamb, they were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands. What a beautiful and a powerful picture of what heaven will be like when there's people from every group in the world Every nation in the world, every ethnic group in the world, they will be there before the Lord, and we will be worshiping the Lord together. Maybe we'll use every language, I don't know. Maybe He'll give us one language that we use, I don't know. But one way or the other, we will be there together. When When we get to heaven, we will not be bored and we will be together we will be with the lord and we will celebrate it's going to be a time where we celebrate with one another and uh, from every background and we're going to be celebrating the lord and what he's done it's something for us to look forward to and it's something that we should keep our, our our spiritual expectation up for as we look to what God will do for us, because he will do this. This is what he says he will do, and he will do this. We can expect that. Now, we find Jesus is speaking to the disciples over in John 14. And in uh, John 14, when he is preparing them for the next stage in the arrival of the kingdom of God, he's t- really he's talking about, hey, I'm going to leave this place. and I'm going to be gone for a while. And he's giving his life on the cross, and, and and he's fixing to do that. And in John chapter fourteen, verses one to four, uh, uh, he says this. Jesus says this, and we hear this. We use this as a passage sometimes in a in a in a time where we have had a loss and and uh, and at a funeral service. But it's much more than that. We have to pull that out of there and see what the purpose was uh, that Jesus said this. He said this to uh his disciples he says in verse four or one do not let your hearts be troubled you believe in God believe also in me and my father's house uh my father's house has many rooms if that were not so I would have told you that I'm going to going there to play uh I'm going there to prepare a place for you and if I go and prepare a place for you I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. Then he says in verse 4, here something wonderful. He says, you know the way to the place where I'm going. And it's through Christ. And we know he tells us in 14.6, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. You know, it's one thing for Jesus to say, I will see you in heaven and I will prepare a place for you. But he doesn't leave it at that. Uh, he doesn't stop there in verse 3. But, but he says, I will I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. And that's a key truth of the scripture. And that's a key truth that Jesus is preaching and telling his people And he's saying, at a certain point, I will return to get you. That's what we call the rapture or the the return, uh, his return for the saints. And the saints, of course, are us. It's not uh, what some would say as these special people know. The saints, according to what the scripture teaches, is those who follow Jesus, followers of Jesus and when we find in, and then we find this also in Jude in the book of Jude in verses 14 and 15 he says this in another note he says Enoch in verse 14 there's no chapter in Jude it's just verses there he says Enoch the, the seventh from Adam prophesied about them and said see the lord is coming with thousands upon thousands of his holy ones to judge everyone and to see uh, and to convict all of them by the ungodly acts that they've committed and their ungodliness and all of the defiant words ungodly sinners have spoken against him. And that's the second part of this. We understand that to be the revelation of Christ, uh, his return with the saints. So, first he's going to come for the saints and then he's going to return with the saints. And we understand that that's what the scripture teaches. Now, the major differences between those things is uh, between the rapture of the church as his, uh, his people, and then the revelation of Christ with his people is that they are different in their purpose, in their time, and uh, they differ in their place as well. So when we talk about the second coming of Christ, we're really talking about these two major events that will take place in the future. Yeah, Jesus, the Messiah, came in history. He was the first time. He came, he has came in the, in the sense of history, and in our history, historically, Jesus came. And, but the Bible teaches he will return again to take us to be with him if we're still alive when it happens. If not, we'll be in the presence of the Lord, the Apostle Paul tells us. And, and this here, though, is the second coming. Or as we may say, it's our happy ending story. For us, it's a happy thing. It's a wonderful thing to keep in our minds what God will do for us. And and here's the thing, this is not just simply a spiritual theory. You're hearing it from the words of Jesus. You're hearing it from his teaching. You're hearing it from the apostles as they taught the word of God. And so the second coming of Christ is not simply religious pie in the sky, by and by, hope it's nice. You have to consider the fact that that God's people, long before the first coming, the historical coming of Jesus Christ, long before that, they were living in expectation of the coming Messiah. In fact, they had waited so long that I would say it's probably likely that some of them gave up their hope if he would ever come and do what, whatever. I think some of them probably dropped off hope after a little while. And if you think about it a little bit, God's people had ran out of town, ta- been ran out of town. They'd been hauled off to Babylon. They'd been hauled off to Assyria at one point before this. and And many of them finally are able to come back to the to the uh, home, to their home, to the promised land. And it's likely not many years later that Alexander the Great starts rolling through. Alexander the Great from Macedonia, the big Greek guy, he comes through. And he rolls through the known world at that time, and he starts overtaking every nation in his path. and And that's what he did. And he through him, they spread the Greek language and culture. That's why we have the New Testament in Greek. That's why we even have the Old Testament in greek that was uh, that was uh, translated back in uh, by seventy scholars in uh, in Alexandria, Egypt. but We have that because this guy came through, and Israel was also again rolled over, and they were, they were, they were back in their land, but they were overtaken by this foreign control. And in the middle of this, they're still looking for their Messiah. It was a a few hundred years before Christ, and and I'm sure that some of them had lost their hope of Him coming, and for some, they probably held on to that. We know that they did. And then Alexander the Great dies, and his kingdom is split up. And this is from history. We know that. And uh, you you would would have thought that uh, that would have been the uh, rest for the people of God in Israel. It may have been in ways, uh, yet at the, at the end of that, is after the split up and, the, and all of the things that take place from the Greek empire, you come, you come down and you see that the Romans end up taking over what was, what was left in shambles from the remains of the Greek empire, uh, and you may ask, what in the world, Pastor Mike, does this matter to us? It matters a whole lot to us. Well, it, it matters a lot because the nation of Israel was in the middle of turmoil for a few hundred years and waiting for their redemption through the Messiah. They were they were waiting, and some had simply given up on the on the hope, uh, likely, and of the arrival of the Son of God. But others, there were others out there that said, "Hey, oh, we're going to make some things happen." That you have the others like the zealots, and we find them in the New Testament. And they were the kind of people who were going to make things happen. They wanted to take matters into their own hands. And the zealots had had one thing in mind, to see the kingdom of God rise out of the ashes through their own power and destruction and ability. But these guys were highly mistaken. And we find them in the New Testament, and you can read and find other information about them. They're mistaken because, first of all, we know what Psalm 127 tells us in verse 1. It said, unless the Lord builds the house, the builder labors in vain. Unless the Lord watches over a city, the guards stand watch in vain. The zealots had totally missed this truth in their Bibles they would have had it they they have been they must have been sleeping when the leaders read Psalm 127 verse 1 I don't know uh it isn't any different today sometimes we miss things and uh they must have been sleeping but the the zealots were were those guys who thought the only way to freedom was to have that concealed weapon and and that's what they would do. They would keep a dagger tucked into their clothes, ready to eliminate whoever got in the way of their political agenda to see God's kingdom reestablished, because that's what they were about. They were about seeing the kingdom established, but they, they were, the way they were going about it didn't work. It's kind of like Abraham and Sarah. Abraham tried his way, and God said, that's not the way. Abraham uh, uh, obeyed and did, allowed things to happen God's way, and God said, that's the way it's going to happen. So these guys were mistaken. And God's eternal kingdom would not be a kingdom that was established by force, but a kingdom that was a peaceable kingdom. The only true aggressiveness of the real eternal kingdom of God is the aggressive nature of the spiritual power of prayer. It's the way it is today. Another form of true spiritual aggression in a positive light is that we live out our faith uh, with all its moral and eth- ethical ep- expectations in a world that lives without respect for anyone else or even themselves, sounds so unique. Sounds so. Oh, is that? How could that be power? But that's what we find here in the teaching of Jesus. We we know for sure that Jesus had at least one zealot among his disciples. It's not a question. We know that, and he may have even had two. If you look at Matthew chapter 10, verse 4, uh, Matthew's writing and he gives a list of some of the people uh, that were Jesus' disciples. And this gospel writer lists uh, a couple guys. In, in chapter 10, verse 4, Matthew, he lists Simon the zealot and Judas Iscariot who betrayed him. Now, now it's, it is interesting that Matthew puts those guys together. He puts the two of them together. Uh, and uh, we don't know for sure here, but but uh, J- Judas' resume may have also included the identification of a zealot. We don't know for sure, uh, but how, how do we think that it may be the case uh, really comes down to his surname, Iscariot. Uh, and some researchers uh, believe it's a form of the title of Sik- uh, Sikari, which means dagger men." And so it's a group of ultra-zealots who carried that knife with them at all times. And in English, we would call him Judas Daggerman. So that's possible. The the, the zealots believed that if they turned Israel back to God and incited war against the Romans, the Messiah would arise and lead them to establish his kingdom. So they were still thinking about the kingdom of God, but they were thinking about it in a different way. And the zealots they had misunderstood and even ignored many of the prophecies regarding Christ's first coming, and they completely missed uh, mistimed those uh, those things around the second. But we need to come back to the fact that over the years since the turn of the twenty first century, we've all we've all been alive but the twenty first century when that came into this time and and uh, the, the church in general has started waning away from talking about the return of Christ. Uh, and I don't think it is uh, it is any different than it was for God's people, Israel, when they were looking for the Messiah at His first coming. I just don't think it is. And, and things got tough. They were having challenges. Uh, and, and likely some, some lost hope and others took matters into their own hands. And does that mean they all lost their faith? Well, some may have, uh, but for others, it may have simply been that they were pulled away from the difficulties of the world that they were facing around them, and they put their eyes on the problems and not the hope of the Messiah. We must put our hope on the returning of Christ. Simply put, really, these guys may have lost their hope, and I think many in our day and age have lost their hope. Scripture tells us hope deferred makes the heart sick. For us as followers of Jesus, we must not lose that hope in the return of Christ, like many uh, may have done at the arrival of Christ in the first coming. We We must not get so wrapped up in the problems of today that we lose focus on the one who brings us hope. Even in those times of pain, even in those times of difficulty, and we need to be able to keep in view the end result of life. And that's what the early church did. They did that. They focused on the end. They, and they kept the focus on that eternal outcome of their lives. And we do that same thing. Anyone who suffered martyrdom as a Christian was able to handle what they have went through because they kept the end in view, and they realized that the physical end of their life was not the end of their life. We may not face what those early believers faced uh, personally, but we must keep the end in sight, although we know many believers around the world do face very similar circumstances. Although there are many in our world that do face those same hostilities, we must keep Our focus, like they have to keep their focus on what Christ is going to do for us. While you you live out your daily lives and face regular challenges, you can walk with hope when you keep the second coming in view. We have to keep it in view. As Jesus said in John 14, verse 3, he said, And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. So we need to be able to keep this in our hearts and our minds as we follow Jesus on a regular basis. Something else that we, we have to keep in mind concerning the second coming of Christ. Don't get all hung up and worried about timing Uh, On jesus return and uh, that's one of the things that sometimes uh, Turns people away from what god is saying in his word and maybe that's one of the reasons why people Have steered away. I remember was part of the big movement when we were getting close and most of you in this room would remember that uh, in 2000 there's a lot of people when 2000 was coming everybody Well, you had the y2k thing, right? That was a whole nother thing But then you had those it's like okay this this must be the time when Jesus is coming, and so it seemed like that once that year passed and and we didn't see him, it's like people are like, oh, okay, maybe that that isn't the case. Maybe too many people pushed for that year. It is interesting even even for uh, the people of Israel when at uh, one place God uh gives a rounded number at about four hundred years. You'll, you'll be in captivity. He gave that to the people of Israel. And then actually it was a little bit more than that. I always look at that when I consider. Sometimes God gives us round numbers and sometimes he gives us more close dates. But this is one of those things, uh, we don't know the timing. Don't get up, get all hung up or worried about the timing of Jesus' return. That's one of the things that keeps, trips people, they, they work hard at figuring out the time and then they make the big announcement to everybody only for that time and it passes and there's no return of it. And the first question I have to ask is, do they think they know more than Jesus? One time Jesus was talking about the end times. Uh, and at the events, and he said in his response to those who are asking him some questions here in Matthew chapter 24. The key part for us, Matthew 24, verse 36 to 40, and he says this, But about the day or hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Verse 37 says, as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. Remember, he's already come once. Now he's there. Now he's talking. And he says, that's how it's going to be, at the coming of the Son of Man. For in the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage. Up to that day, Noah entered the ark. And they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them all away. <laughs> Didn't know it going to happen. Hey, they, they're just living. It's not that he wasn't preaching. It was Not that he wasn't telling them. He says, that is how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. Two men will be in the field. One will be taken, the other left. Two men, uh, women will be grinding with a hand mill. One will be taken, and the other left. We could say it this way: It'll be business as usual at the time of Christ's return. And I, I think because over the over, I would say before 2000, because of the last 30 years between there, there's been so much preaching on the end times, uh, and such that the people finally just got, they just kind of got tired of it. Said, so, yeah, whatever. <laughs> and I, and I think it works great for God because it's just like people are like, whatever. And it just sort of matches right up to what Jesus said there. He said, it's going to be every day. We're going to be going every day. People have kind of got lulled to sleep. They've been told that they, they, this every day. It's, it's just going to be an everyday time. Some people have been lulled to sleep. They think, well, God, God may do it or he may not do it. I think really for us, it's really it's his timing. When is he going to do it? I don't know. But we have to be ready. They uh, don't, don't uh, sometimes people don't put a lot of stock in the return of Christ. And then you have those sects out there uh, or uh, fringe groups of, that are connected to Christianity somehow. And they say, oh yeah, Jesus returned in 1914. Two- they literally believe that. He returned in 1914, but only to a few people. The fact is that people will know when he is returned. And it will be more than just a private showing of Jesus. Christ was plain. He was plain when, that no one knows the day or the hour except the Father. And don't let, God, don't let people pull you off of that. And sure, we, ha- we have uh, that sense that we are in the la- end times, and that is true. No question. Even the apostles at their time, that was the beginning of the end times. And sometimes that's where some of us uh, miss it as well. We don't realize that the end times started with them. Uh, well, so the end times have been a long time. And he's given us grace. And some great things have happened. There's some key events that have taken place in many of your lifetime, even r- shortly before I was born, that shows that God is, is setting things up. We don't know the day or the hour, but he's setting things up. Things that have never happened for a couple thousand years. and God has done it. and He's brought it together. We don't need to be hung up on times, but about doing the Father's business. That's what we need to do. Just like you you shared with us, Steve, about what you're doing there and challenging people in East Africa to step up to take care of the work of God. Look at what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 24, verse 42 to 44. He says, therefore, keep watch, because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. But understand this, if the owner of the house had known at what time of the night the thief was coming, he would have kept watch and would would not have let his house be broken into. Then he says in verse 44, so you also must be ready because the son of man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. We need to be ready. We need to stay focused. We need to be about the Father's business. We need to keep watch. We need to keep that focus. We don't know the day or the hour or time, but we have to get that. We have to understand that. And we can sense that season that we are in, yet we need to make sure that the challenges of this life and our daily living don't get in our way of being about the Father's business of reaching the world around us with the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. We have this special hope. We have this special hope. And like Jesus, you, you, you don't know when a thief will return. You don't know when a thief will come, I should say. So be ready. He uses that as an example when he will return again. And he said the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. That's what we call that imminent return of Christ. Uh, it can happen at any time. So don't cr- grow cold in your faith. Don't allow your faith to go to the side. Don't be weakened in your faith. Don't be distracted by your walk. There's so many things that can cause us to focus on things that are secondary in this life. But to make sure that our focus is on Him. You know, it's kind of like in these last few weeks, just last month after we got hit by the lightning strike. We lost the projector. We lost half our sound system. And we're dealing with this as pastors it is, and, and as a church and the staff, it's put a lot of load on us trying to get all this stuff up. And we've had countless problems with it. We've got some of it working, got the projector up this week and these things. And, and so it puts off and it affects what we do, what we're able to do. And, and even though all those type of distractions come, we can't look uh, away from what the chief thing is, which is the word of God God's work in our life, the Spirit of God working in us. We need Him. We have to keep the main things the main things. Yeah, those challenges will come. We have to keep our focus on Him. and We have to make sure our focus is on our happy ending story. You have a happy ending story. As a follower of Jesus, if you're serving Him in faith, if you're looking to Him in faith, you have that. And see, there are... There's something that we need to keep in mind. Every great ending is the start of a new story. The writer, J.R. Tolkien, coined a word called uh, eucatastrophe. Yes, eucatastrophe. Yes, I got this one, yes, from Pastor Josh, if you're wondering. And uh, so eucatastrophe, he did this, he made this term in the 1940s. He coined this term there. And Tolkien defined a eucatastrophe as a catastrophe that has a happy ending, a catastrophe with a happy ending. And too many people see a sad ending as the pinnacle of a story, but there is more to the story. You have a happy ending story. If you place your faith and trust in Christ Jesus, even in a world of upheaval and corruption, We still have this hope. We still can have this happy ending story. As we wrap this up this morning, I want to ask you these questions, these few questions, and then Michael's going to come and and Carla and, and lead us in a time of worship. Another final song here. Are you ready for the return of Christ? To help you, this I answer this question of really of etern- uh, eternal importance. Think about these following questions here, because it's not just are we putting our faith in Him, but are we living our faith out? Let me ask you these five things. If Jesus were gonna, were to come right now, ten minutes, fifteen minutes. Would you have to change your lifestyle or your thought life? Would you have to change the way you spend your time, your money, your abilities? Are your past sins under the blood of Christ? Have you failed to make things right with people? Are there commandments of of the Lord's that you have put off obeying? We have to ask ourselves those as we're in the presence of the Lord. It may be that he's delayed his coming to give us the opportunity to prepare our life for his return. I remember Grace, uh, a lady, an older lady in her 90s uh, from my church that I grew up in back in Atchison. Uh, and the one time I've probably told the story, she she felt very directed by the Lord to go to this one nursing facility, n- nursing home. Uh, she was older; she needed help at this point, and she just needed assistance, and she knew she did. And, and uh, so she had been single all her life and didn't really have kids around, some nieces and stuff. But she said, "I need to go to this place. I feel like the Lord wants me to go specifically to this place." So she went. She lived there. <laughs> If you know Grace, she's a witness of Christ. There was a lady over 100 years old, I can't remember, I think it's 111, it was, she was very old. And that lady had never placed her faith in Jesus. Sister Grace got to lead her to Christ. God had, gra- God had mercy on that woman so that she could live that long, so she would put her faith in Him. I think sometimes God gives us mercy before his coming, so that we have that opportunity to put ourselves in his hands and live out for him the way he wants us to live. Would you stand with me this morning? I'm going to challenge you. I'm not going to have you raise your hand. I'm not going to have you come to the front for this specifically. And although I'm going to be here, if you'd like prayer, I'd be glad to pray with you. Or if you'd like Steve to pray with you, I'm sure he would be glad to pray with you. But this morning, we have to keep the end view in mind. What Jesus did. If you haven't placed your faith in the Word Jesus Christ, today is the day. Today is the day of salvation. On the other side, if you have placed your faith in Him, today is the day to make sure all things are right between you, Him, and others. And recognize that He has called you to serve Him in whatever way. So this morning as we pray, why don't you speak to the Lord and say, Lord, here I am and deal with those things that you need to deal with, answering those questions and allow Him to work in your heart. Let me pray for you. Father, we thank You. We thank You, Lord, that You are here in this place. We thank You, Father God, that You care for each and every one of us. Father, we look forward to the second coming of Christ and all that it pertains to us. And Father, we thank you and we look forward to what you are going to do in our lives. And may we, Father, do what you have called us to do as your people. We're not perfect. We're growing in our faith. We're growing in our walk in you and we need you. And Father, I pray this morning that you would help us to look to you in faith. Help us to keep our eyes set on the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Because we know one day you will come to receive us. If you wait till we pass, that's fine too, Lord, because we know according to your word, if we put our faith in you, that we're in your presence at that point. So, Father, we give ourselves to you this morning, and we say, Lord, work your will in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.